0: Welcome to another edition of DBSA's Young Adult Council podcast series. To learn more about the Young Adult Council, visit us at dbsalliance.org slash All All right. Hi, everyone. This is Lauren. I'm one of the Young Adult Council members here um, with DBSA, and I'm here with Christine, another member of the Young Adult Council. And both of us will be talking about ways in which we can Uh, manage our financial wellness while dealing with a mental health condition. Christine, what are some of these ways that you can do that?
1: Okay, well, I think first, being a young young adult, it's pretty difficult when you um, first like turn 18 because you're finally in charge of your own money. So I think probably the first thing you want to do is try and Separate your essentials from your non-essentials and you want to make sure you budget enough every month for your essentials and I don't know about other people but for me personally when I'm feeling bad I feel like I should just go treat myself and go buy coffee or go out for dinner and sometimes that's not really great for my finances especially if you know rent or bills are due so my first tip is that. I think everyone should set reminders on their phone or computer or whatever to pay their monthly rent on the first of every month. Like I know some places give you like a grace day or two to pay your rent, but I think that you should just make it mandatory, like already deduct it from your budget every month. Um, Automatically just pretend like that money isn't there, the stuff for your rent. And in terms of bills, like, the essentials, I'm talking like heating, electric, water. I would set all those bills on auto pay or pay them all at the same time, at the same time you pay rent. So you can already like set apart those mandatory expenses. And then when you start out your month, you only have um in your bank account what you actually have to spend that month. Cause I know a lot of people will run into trouble because they see their whole paycheck, but then they forget that, oh, all the bills are coming up at the end of the month, and then they end up overdrafting because they didn't, um, like, factor that in. And for me, that's pretty hard mentally, so I just do it at the beginning so I don't even have to think about it.
0: Um, yeah, no, definitely I agree with um, the auto-pay method. You know, things get busy in life. Like, um, I know I've run into, uh, not often, but there were a couple times where I missed paying my bills and, you know, was charged a late fee. So, you know, that affects, and we'll talk more about this too, um, but, you know, this affects your credit score and doesn't look good on your record. And again, of course, you're paying a late fee. That's not necessary. So the auto pay uh, really helps with that. And I think prioritizing your bills, like you were saying, um, like rent, utilities, uh, phone bill, Subscriptions can be lower on the list, but, you know, if you need to put those on auto-pay as well, you know, those are helpful. Uh, You mentioned earlier, Christine, that treating yourself out to, like, coffee or, like, eating out is, like, one way to help when we're feeling unwell. But then how can you save money on food and eating out?
1: Yeah, so for me, I'm unfortunately one of those people that spend way too much money on food. But... You know, everyone's different, and we're not saying that you, like, can never eat out again. As long as you just put it in your budget, I think it's okay. So, like, when we just talked about, like, the rent and the utilities. Those are, like, 100% mandatory. Like, you would put it number one on your list of things to do. Number two is probably groceries. And most people I know have, like, some sort of budget for your groceries and some sort of budget for eating out and like coffee and those other little splurges Um, and what you decide like in terms of the ratio of groceries versus pre-made food or like restaurants is up to you as long as it's like within your means but if you are like me and don't know how to cook I do have some tips on how to kind of save money as you're also buying almost every meal my first tip is don't buy every meal for me I don't cook like we probably never turn on the stove in our house except to make eggs. Like, at least for breakfast, you can save a lot of money if you just buy, like, pre-bottled coffee, buy a Keurig, buy instant coffee. If you don't drink coffee, that's great. You're saving more money. Um, If you can buy, like, whatever breakfast food you like, like, if you don't cook, we buy the frozen, like, breakfast sandwiches a lot. Um, And that saves money because if you just think about it, like, frozen sandwiches from like the Kroger aisle versus like McDonald's every single day. Like that amount of difference, like adds up and you're still eating basically the same thing. For me, I like to think about the different tiers of like expenses for food. So obviously the cheapest is groceries. You make everything yourself, you buy all the raw ingredients, but you know, some people are too busy to do that. And some people like me, who live with mental health conditions may not always have the energy to do that. So the next thing, the next best thing in terms of saving money would be to buy like the pre-made meals from grocery stores. You can either buy like meal prep packs where you just kind of buy the ingredients, but they're all packed together and you just cook them all at home. Or you can just buy the stuff that you just reheat, but those are still cheaper Um, Then the third tier, which I would count as takeout from, like, a restaurant. So there are different layers to takeout as well. Um, Obviously, fast food would be cheaper than a nicer restaurant or somewhere that maybe makes all organic meals. And then the most expensive tier of food, in my mind, is delivery, because not only are you paying... Um, For the meal, you're also paying the delivery fee, paying a delivery tip. And a lot of places, um, you may not know about this, but they actually, each item is more expensive on the delivery site than if you order directly from the restaurant. So all that little money adds up too. So for me, like when I splurge, I, you know, try my best to get takeout instead of delivery when I feel too sad or down. I try and just grab something on my way home. If I can run by a Kroger, I do that. If I just don't have the energy to get out of my car, I'll pre-order something um, and then just pick it up from a restaurant. And in terms of coffee, which is my guilty pleasure, I go to Starbucks a lot because I'm basic and I'm part of their like rewards loyalty program. And stuff like loyalty programs, like can really help you save money because you earn points and like free food when you're spending your money. And it's true that maybe you might spend more, but you also eventually save some and it's better than just spending and never saving. Lauren, how do you budget money on food?
0: Yeah, so I think you hit on a lot of similar ways that I try to budget with food and groceries. Like my financial advisor has really helped me with a monthly budget for groceries and then like a weekly budget for like takeout and dining out um, food deliveries because that's like groceries I buy on a monthly basis and then weekly it's um, easier to keep track of like when I'm ordering out so that's been helpful for me and the pre-made meals that you mentioned like there's definitely a bunch of subscription services nowadays that do that like I recently tried out Freshly so it's not like blue apron where they ship you the ingredients and then you have to make the meals like it's literally pre-made and that came out to be like still you know pricier than groceries obviously like ten dollars per meal and I got like six meals at a time you know here in New York um you know ordering out or eating out like ends up being like 12 to 15 dollars so slightly a little bit cheaper than that like the tiers that you're mentioning you know in which these um things like balance out so I think, you know, the ways that you mentioned are definitely important things to keep in mind for when you're saving money on food.
1: Yeah, and I really like how you also divide it out into weeks. I didn't really think of that. And I think that's a great idea because a lot of people, like, budgeting for a month seems really hard because it's so far in advance and you you think, like, you can spend most of it the first week and then you're like, oops, what am I supposed to eat for the next three weeks? So, with
0: the monthly versus weekly budgeting that I talked about. Um, so what my financial advisor had helped me set up was this thing called a simple bank debit card for budgeting. So it's like this white debit card. You know, you add money to it just like any regular debit card account and or debit account, and it has these specific expense channels or like expense buckets that you can like put categorized for different things like so I categorize according to like um, restaurants bars uh, cafes those are all categorized for my like dining out expenses and then any transaction that I use on that card that's uh, recognized as a whether it's a again a restaurant a bar or cafe that gets taken out of that dining out expense bucket. And so I only allow myself about 150 per week for both dining out and for like coffee and drinks and things like that. So that debit card uh, really helps me stay on point with keeping track weekly, how much I'm spending and makes me be more mindful of how much I'm spending on these specific categories of like things. So um again like money is put in so like money is allocated like you select the like what's called a payday in which the money is deposited into that expense bucket if by that time of the end of the week that i like had already or in the middle of the week rather if i spent all of that like 150 dollars then you know i've spent that amount of money that i've allocated for that week and it's not refilled until the following week when I've selected that certain payday. So that's how my weekly budgeting works. And I use that simple bank debit card to help me with that versus like, if I'm just spending on my other personal debit card, just freely without that restriction, that tends to, you know, um, make me less mindful about my spending. So I would highly recommend simple bank, um, you know, to help with budgeting for weekly food expenses.
1: That's so interesting. Lauren I know we're both in like graduate school do you get an actual like paycheck every couple weeks or every month or do you just have to budget out based on your loans like what you think you can spend every month
0: right that's a good question so I definitely am uh, more so budgeting according to the amount of loans that I'm given at the beginning of the semester And I plan that out with my – so, like, I have quarterly meetings with my financial advisor, and so that tends to line up well with, like, when I'm about – like, I think my last one that I had was at the end of summer, so that coincided with the beginning of the semester. Um, And so we were allocating, you know, how much of this – these loan disbursement payments that I got, you know, I'm allocating for, like, rent – like, fixed expenses, so rent, utility, phone bill – versus my variable expenses, so, like, groceries and eating out, uh, like, going out drinking, things like that. So that's my primary way of budgeting, but then I'm also, like, I occasionally on the side um, babysit dog walk and dog sit, so, like, those are, that's, like, my variable income that comes in, but that's definitely not on a consistent or regular basis, so I don't try to budget, I mean, like, my financial advisor does take that into account a bit. Like, we try and average out how much I'm bringing per month from those activities, but it's definitely not a consistent cash flow. So I'm more so budgeting based on the loans that I get at the beginning of each semester.
1: Yeah, I um, do something similar, except I I think 100% of my income is from loans. And one thing that I do to help, because I know probably a lot of people um in this age group go to school and they may not have a regular paycheck um and may be living off of some sort of loan money that they don't get like super frequently um and for me when i get my loan disbursement it's a big chunk of money but i'll immediately put all of it in my savings account and then every month i'll take out what i've budgeted for the month and put it in like the checking account And for one of the ways that I check myself to make sure I don't just cheat and add a little extra if I want to splurge a little that month is that my bank account automatically, like, they'll charge you a fee if you keep withdrawing from your savings account, um, like, too many times a month. So I take out, like, the very minimum. And if an emergency happens, I'll take out some more. But then if I have to keep taking out more, I know I'm going to be charged a fee. So then in my mind, it kind of forces me to work with what I have.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point about um, putting it all in a savings account and like having that restriction on the number of withdrawals that you can make. Otherwise you're penalized um, for doing that too much. So I think that's a great way to try and budget your money and like try and um, conserve what it is that you're spending on expenses. But yeah, like, uh, one thing that comes to mind for me, too, is, like, not only do we spend money on, like, rent, utilities, and food, but we also can um, indulge in some shopping, like, whether that's for clothes, gifts, or little items like that. So I was wondering, Christine, like, how it is that you handle, like, shopping sprees and managing money for that?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be honest, Lauren, you sound like a much better person that... Like much better at managing your budget than me. Um, you sound pretty disciplined. And I guess like after I answer this question, you can talk about how you st- keep yourself on track. But for me, like on my bad days, some days I just don't care that I'm supposed to be sticking to a budget. And that makes it really, really hard. So one other trick I have learned is that when you don't have that internal motivation to do what you know is best for your financial health sometimes you need like extrinsic things to stop you from being too reckless with your spending and one thing that i have noticed is that for me a lot of my like shopping actually ends up being online um it's just so easy to be laying in your bed and see something and then you're like i want it and amazon and a lot of other places they make it so easy now with your account if you just click on it there's like one-click ordering and then you've already like paid for it before you even realize so one thing I do is to not keep my credit card information um, on these sites and that can really be a hassle when I need to order something I always have to like go look up my credit card but it's also a lifesaver sometimes maybe like at night you're like drunk buying things or you're just sad or you're not really even thinking about if you need it or not and when you're like pretty lazy like me and your credit card's across the room and you think you're gonna like buy these cute little like star-shaped post-it notes even though you have like 30 packs on your desk already, the deterrent of having to go physically get my credit card to enter in the number, then I do weigh it more and then probably save some money that way. And I'm sure there are other examples out there too, but just like making things harder on yourself can be a really great external deterrent from doing something when you don't feel like you can necessarily internally control your own impulses.
0: Yeah, and I (laughs) definitely appreciate you saying um, that I seem disciplined in my budgeting, but that can definitely get derailed when my mood, um, you know, shifts. So, like, if we're talking about our financial wellness in terms of, you know, having a mental health condition, um, I think you mentioned, Christine, like, you know, definitely when you're feeling down, like, this can maybe um, uptick a bit for you. And I would say that, like, like, two things, like, when I'm feeling down, like, I will indulge in, you know, like, retail therapy a bit and, like, especially having the, my, debit card information, like, saved into the website, like, definitely makes that easier to do and, like, makes me more uh, inclined to, like, do some spending when I'm not feeling that well and when I'm feeling down on myself, um, convincing, you know, that this, like, this purse or this, like, uh, dress will, like, make things feel better for me. Um, And then on the other flip side, um, having bipolar disorder, I can um, also really uh, spend excessively when I'm hypomanic. This tends to happen when I'm not taking my medications regularly or like if I don't get enough sleep or if I'm staying up late consistently and not getting the amount of sleep that I need every night, um, I can definitely start to feel like more like elevated, like, wanting, like, not only thinking that, like, these things will, like, make me feel better, but thinking that, like, oh, I need these things that, like, um, I rational, like, I rationalize somehow that, like, oh, I need, like, five pieces of this, like, $80 jewelry, like, I'm going to give these out to friends or something. Like, I definitely, like, get into a more gift-giving mode, so I'll tend to spend, like, excessive amounts on like multiples of the same items so like thinking that i'll give these out to people so and when i mentioned earlier that my bills have like been paid late sometimes that's uh, tended to happen when i've been hypomanic as well because i'm like not paying attention to when my my bills are my bill payment dues are coming up and so again that auto pay comes in handy for you know not having to worry about that kind of thing especially if i'm not mentally well and I think Christine like you were thinking also like something in terms of cash instead of using credit cards would also be a better way of managing money as well did you want to talk more about that
1: yeah so like we were both just talking about the ease of buying like everything at your fingertips online I guess one thing to make it harder is to just you know go physically like you want that jewelry like tell yourself you're gonna go to the mall. And then if you feel like you're too lazy to go to the mall, maybe like you've saved that money. And along the same like vein of thinking, um, credit cards are so easy like because you don't have to pay, you don't feel the sting of spending a lot of money right away because you don't have to pay off your credit card maybe till the end of the month, which by the way, I recommend everyone pay off their credit card as completely as possible every month because it's super easy, especially when you like turn 18, all these credit cards try and like get you to sign up and then it's really easy to get into debt if you only pay the bare minimum. But anyway, you can avoid all of these problems if you just use cash. I feel like cash feels a little antiquated now, um, but I personally think, and actually I think there have been like studies done where people notice that if you only use cash, you actually spend less than if you are using a credit card because like psychologically it hurts you more when you see like those bills being given to the other person when you're paying for something versus a credit card. Like you just hand them your credit card. If it's a dollar purchase. If it's a $200 purchase, it feels the same, but with cash, you'll definitely notice the difference and maybe you'll think about, oh, maybe I can just drop one thing off my purchase this time um, and pay a little less and those little things will add up. Plus you have to make a trip to the ATM to get the cash and all the extra trips are like little deterrents you have in place for those days where you just want to spend everything. Um, I know that would definitely
0: put a deterrent for me um, in spending. Credit cards and debit cards are just too easy to
1: swipe. (laughs) Can you, I guess like this simple mint, simple bank debit card is it an actual card that you have or is it just like an online budgeting app um so it's an actual card like
0: i it's like like this white card with a chip on it um that you use just like any regular debit card and then it's also has an online banking feature on um Their website, you can. um, That's where I was talking about earlier with the expense buckets that you allocate like certain amounts of money to. You can set paydays and which, um, you know, certain days that you allocate that money into those expense buckets and you're designating like which categories of transactions get deducted from that expense bucket. So, like, I have a dining out expense. Um, I have an entertainment expense, like, for movies, for concerts, um, festivals, like, you know, museums, too, like, things like that, like, activities for fun, and, like, I don't tend to use it for, like, my fixed expenses, like, with rent and utilities, because I know already what those are, um, how much those are going to be, and, like, I just set those on auto pay from my other debit account, but I use the simple bank card for, like, my variable expenses, like, things that I'm, like, spending on the daily and weekly.
1: Cool. So have you um, ever used any other, like, budgeting tools before that? Like, maybe, like, I know a lot of people use Mint. Is there, like, a is there something that you really, really like about the Simple Bank card versus, like, maybe anything else you've tried? Um, so I mean,
0: like I definitely like Simple Bank for um, like its restrictions on the amount of sp- spending that I can do. Like it, you know, again, like literally, if I've spent like the 150 dollars that I've allocated for the week, like it will not fill that until the payday that I've set it um, to. But you mentioned Mint.com, and like I definitely use that heavily before simple and even still to this day um, after you're getting simple, where I like how it has its like analytics where it, like, tra- like it tracks um, and reports like how much I'm spending per week based on what category, how much it compares from month to month. It also shows like the trajectory of my spending, like it'll show, um, oh, this is how much I spent at this time at last month. So it's nice to see like, oh, I was spending, more at this time, like, for example, this time around last month in, um September, I was spending a bit more just because of, like, um, like books and, like, um, uh, school supplies that were, you know, needed for at the beginning of the semester. So I like that Mint can tell me, you know, the trends of my spending. And I tend to try and, like, go in every so often to, like, update. Like, sometimes it doesn't get the categories of the transactions right, so I like to – um go in and like update those when I can it also is a credit monitoring tool so like it'll tell me my credit score um I think based on trans union credit bureau but um that comes in handy as well
1: gotcha yeah I um attempt to use mint but I really like that um your simple bank debit card like It'll just not let you spend any more money because I definitely get a lot of like mint emails that say you've exceeded your budget, but they don't send them till like a couple days after I've exceeded my budget. So it's not real time. (laughs) Yeah. And also, it's not it's too friendly. You know, you can just ignore the email. You can't really ignore when your card has no more money on it. But yeah, like in terms of like credit, we should talk about that because. I don't actually know what credit is, but I know it's very important if you want to, like, buy a house or a car. So do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, so when we're talking about
0: credit, like, it's building, like, say, conceptually, like, your accountability or your reliability and being able to pay off debt and, like, being able to um, pay off loans or like basically how reliable are you in like you know keeping down your debt and so this is uh conceptualized in terms of a score so like there are different factors that contribute to your credit score so like paying your bills on time like um the length that you've had your accounts for how many accounts um do you have open like whether that's credit or whether that's um usually yeah like credit card accounts but, but like other forms of credit like you know auto loans um educational loan like student loans um like how many accounts do you have open for that and like any derogatory remarks like i'm this is like all like factors that like mint.com's credit score is able to tell you like what factors are uh, affecting your credit score so like um like derogatory remarks being like if you had like a hard, what's called a hard credit inquiry. So like if you have like your credit score or your credit report checked on, like for example, if you're applying, like I just had a hard credit inquiry recently to apply for a a graduate plus loan versus like a regular federal like unsubsidized loan. So that counts as a hard credit inquiry so you don't like which is okay to have like every once in a while like you just don't want to be accumulating too many of those like at a time anytime you apply for a credit card that counts as as a credit inquiry keeping track of those and then what else like like not paying your bills on time and um, making sure that you're keeping your uh, accounts open as long as possible Um, They like to see that you have a good, long, healthy, like, credit history. And a a second major factor also is your credit usage. So, like, how much of your credit limits, like, uh, um, are you using your credit for? So, like, I think the number that you want to keep your credit usage under is, like, 15 to 20% maybe 30% at the most, but like definitely 15 to 20, I think is like recommended. So you want to be like, say that your credit card has a limit of like 2000, like you want to only be spending like using up 15% of that like credit limit.
1: So I was actually, um, I don't use mint for this, but there's another like free website application called credit karma. um, Mm -hmm. And that can actually check, your credit and it won't be one of those like hard inquiries like you can check it without it penalizing you um the way that like if you apply for like a loan or an apartment like the way those do and I was just looking at the factors that go into your credit and um I guess for me I think about them in like two categories like the stuff you can change the stuff you can't being young like we'll never really be able to change the fact that our credit history is super short um, also another thing that's kind of hard to change is like your the number of hard inquiries because if you need a loan if you need an apartment you kind of have to do that you can't just be like no you can't check my credit right but on the other hand the stuff that you can control that like Lauren was talking about um, the derogatory remarks you definitely want to steer clear of that by using our tips on, like, how to pay bills on time, I think that they give you, like, a percentage, like, on Credit Karma, you can see this, of, like, how many times you've paid for things on time. And it's a pretty, like, they rate things as high impact or low impact um, on your credit score. And if you can pay things on time, like, 98% of the time, like, that'll help boost your credit versus if you forget a lot, it'll make a big Thing and your credit definitely so yeah those um are some
0: ways that uh you can manage your financial wellness in terms of budgeting spending managing your credit um so thank you christine for going over these tips and um for talking about the different ways in which we can um manage our mental or financial health Okay, so we went over some tips on how you can manage your financial health when you're dealing with a mental health condition and the challenges that come with that and ways in which you can um, help navigate around that. So we're going to switch gears and talk about another important aspect of financial wellness, and that is working with health insurance. So first, uh, we thought it would be helpful if we break down briefly, the terms of insurance that often come up. Um, so first, there's what's called a premium. So a premium is what you pay per month, gets you the, insur- the insurance plan coverage. So it's like your membership plan um, payment, and that gets you like the preventative services covered and it allows you to be able to submit you know, claims for reimbursement and basically have overall insurance health insurance plan coverage. Um, And then there's what's called a deductible. So that's the amount of money that you pay before the insurance company starts paying a portion of your medical costs. So say for my insurance plan, that's $500 for preferred or in-network providers, and then $1,500 for out-of-network providers. But Basically, that means, so I have to pay $500 uh, collectively up front before my insurance plan starts kicking in and we'll start paying a portion of my medical costs. And then what also comes up is what's called a copay or coinsurance. And that's just basically referring to the portion that you pay towards services and then it's usually in a percentage amount. So, say my insurance plan, my copay is eighty percent. I pay eighty percent of my services for preferred providers, and then um, my the copay that um, or co-insurance that my health insurance plan covers is twenty percent of that. And then for out-of-network. Um, I pay 50%, and then my insurance plan pays 50% of that. Um, And then finally, there's what's called an out-of-pocket maximum or limit, and that's the amount you will pay at most in a year until insurance covers everything, um, and that resets every year. So that's usually a pretty high amount because, um, of course, insurance wants or wants to avoid covering everything if they can. <laughs> so my out-of-pocket maximum for in-network providers is $7,900 for the year. So I would have to pay $7,900 out-of-pocket until they start paying for, um, for all my medical costs.
1: Um, I did have a question for you, Lauren. Are you on student insurance or are you still on your parents' insurance? Yeah, so unfortunately, I'm no longer on my parents' insurance. I
0: have definitely passed the age limit on which I can remain on my parents' health insurance plan, so I'm currently on the school's health insurance plan. I could have technically done some research and gotten my own insurance plan, but I wasn't too familiar or just, you know, I w- I didn't feel confident in my abilities to be able to like compare insurance plan. So I basically defaulted to what my school's health insurance plan was.
1: Gotcha. So I guess maybe um, if you don't mind talking about it, like what types of like health appointments do you have every month? And can you maybe talk a little bit about what you have to pay just to put it in perspective and then like compared to what your insurance pays for the same thing?
0: yeah um so every month I do pay for therapy appointments and I would say every three months now like I'm paying for uh psychiatry appointments or I guess rather like these um urgent care visits for my med management so I don't go to a psychiatrist but I go to um, this urgent this uh, mental health urgent care for my uh medications and for my prescriptions to be refilled so i'm going to therapy each month every other week so and each session is 175 so each month i'm paying 350 and i get 54 percent of that reimbursed by my um insurance plan that goes into um, the process of submitting super bills for reimbursement. How that works is that I submit a claim form that my insurance company provides in which I just fill out basic information like my address, my date of birth, my ID number um, and then like um, it, it, I'm sure it'll depend on each insurance company but like the form that I fill out it just asks like was this an accident? related to work or have I been treated for this illness before? And was I referred from like my student, like health center? So I just fill out information about that. And then I have to submit proof of payment. So I pay by check for each of my therapy appointments, um, because my uh, therapist provider, she like her practice charges a fee for every time a card is used. So to avoid that fee, I just pay by check. Um, so I have to submit, it's kind of a process, but I have to provide the bank statements then, um, like from my debit account in which it shows like that I did pay by check and like when it was deducted. So and it shows like the check image that was submitted. So or that was cashed in yeah just going through and making sure that i'm only providing like the information that they really need so basically just like that a check was uh, cashed in like what the amount was and on what date and then but if for example so at another um private practice that i went to like previously i was able to pay by card and without having to worry about a fee so my proof of payment for that was just simply the receipt um, I submitted that for proof of payment and then finally the most one of the more important things is the super bill so that's an itemized bill that the provider will give which includes your diagnosis and procedure codes the service date and cost usually they're licensed in their license and their it's called a national provider identifier and also their tax ID number so every business will have a tax ID number so this tells the insurance company, like, what it is that, like, how much I paid for, what it is that I was being treated for, what the procedure or what kind of session it was, and the date and the uh, in which that I got these services. So all of those together I submit to the insurance company, and then usually it takes at least a month for them to process, and then, like, a little bit over a month after later, then I finally get checks in the mail that... Uh, Reimburse 54% of that 350 that I paid per month for my therapy sessions and then I don't go ahead and like go through the process of getting my psychiatry or like my not my psychiatry my med management sessions reimbursed because they're like I just pay a copay of $40 per visit so I don't feel like like that's fine like I'm like that's a usual doctor's visit cost so I just and I only pay that like every three months so I just write that off and that's fine.
1: So I, like, in my experience, because I've been on a couple different insurances, but for me, um, when I used to go to, like, certain practices and, like, say, like, if the co-pay or the co-insurance that I would have to pay that day was 30%, I would just pay it, like, to the office on the spot and they would just process the rest through insurance. Is it... I guess the provider you're seeing or like your insurance specifically like why do you have to do the reimbursement part yourself because their office doesn't uh like they don't have
0: an administrative staff that will process that well even when i the other private practice that i went to who did have an administrative staff like they're out of network and they just don't like they're not on an insurance panel so they don't deal with insurance which unfortunately is a common case with a lot of providers in mental health, I feel like. So that's definitely preferred or the ideal, like if your office can process all that for you. That just hasn't been my experience, unfortunately, where I've had to like submit these claims myself and I've had to get the reimbursement.
1: What do you do if you go through all that work and like submit the claim and then your insurance denies it then what
0: Yeah so that would definitely be annoying <laughs> and like I can only speak to the reasons that like my claims have been rejected for like I'm sure there's various reasons and unfortunately like other people I'm sure have had theirs rejected for but um I remember there is this whole process so this was not with United Healthcare this was with Anthem Blue Cross that was my parents insurance actually when I was still on it so they rejected one of several of my claims because the dates of service on which I received both therapy and psychiatry. So I was seeing a, a psychiatrist at this private practice. I would schedule those on the same day because at the time it made sense, right, if I could just consolidate those appointments and just go to both on the same day, one after the other if I could. But when I would submit those for reimbursement with the insurance company, because it was the same tax ID number and the same, yeah, same tax ID number. Like, it was the same business uh, providing the service. Like, they thought, even though it was, like, it really didn't make sense to me, and it still doesn't to this day, but their argument was, like, even though it's like, different procedure codes, like, they called it double dipping. Like, they thought that I was trying to, like, pass off, like, duplicate appointments for, like, double the payment, basically. Like, they thought I was trying to pass off, like, yeah like two appointments that's the same thing which really still doesn't make sense because the procedure codes were different like one was clearly for therapy and one was clearly for like it was like a physician like appointment tried to fight it tried to like i had a very understanding and actually like um sympathetic uh agent on the other line who tried to advocate for me but they basically demanded for like the money back like for part of i forget how much like it was, but they wouldn't reimburse like one of those like one of those appointments. So mine didn't have a happy ending with that like process. um So if they reject the claim, like I, you know, the best that you can do is just like honestly, like do your best to call, look into it, like ask them what their rationale and their reasoning was, and like yeah, depending on the issue, like trying to like work with like sometimes your provider can like be helpful with that too and like try and like call the insurance company or try to like work work around that too insurance companies really don't want to have to pay more than they have to so
1: yeah so i guess i will just talk a little bit about my experiences with insurance because it sounds like it was it's a little different from yours lauren i guess for me one thing is It sounds like most of your appointments are outpatient when i guess like for me a lot of times where i had like claims rejected or something would be um like when i would be like in a hospital or like a higher level of treatment like residential treatment unfortunately i guess for me like, like when you're in hospitals the hospitals usually do the legwork and they just won't accept you as a patient if they know like that service or like you Like your insurance if they don't accept it so that kind of helps out um, in terms of like the reimbursement situation but i've definitely had several situations in which um either like a medication that i was on or like a certain level of treatment like my insurance company just didn't think it was medically necessary and then they would not want to cover things and when that happens i guess there are like a couple of things you can do like you said definitely talk to like someone on the phone um a lot of times like at least the representative will explain to you why something was rejected and you like suddenly got a bill in the mail i just dealt with this actually yeah so once i was in the hospital and like my doctors felt like i needed to be in residential treatment and we found somewhere in network that my insurance would cover theoretically but the insurance rejected the claim because they said it wasn't medically necessary. So one thing you can ask your providers to do, um, besides like talking to the agent yourself, is to do what they call like a one-on-one like doctor to doctor staffing, um, where your own doctor talks to the doctor at the insurance company, and they kind of like speak to each other and your doctor explains why you need the treatment. And then like sometimes, not all the time for sure, that can convince the insurance company into like paying for something that your team feels you need, because um, a lot of times like the insurance companies like they don't see everything that's happening in your life, and if something is just documented incorrectly or misunderstood, they'll just deny your claim. So that's something worth trying. And I guess like in terms of other claims that have gone wrong, there are a couple of things that you sometimes have to do in order to, I guess, have the insurance pay for your claim. One thing is when you go to like a hospital, they need to like pre, they need pre-certification, which means like if you go to the ED because you have a medical emergency or a psychiatric emergency, um, you'll sit there. And if they decide, if the hospital decides you need to go like inpatient on like the psychiatry floor, the hospital will contact your insurance and say, we think she needs treatment. And they need to get like this pre-certification that says your insurance will pay for that level of care. And that's required um, for most insurances to pay for that claim. If they don't get it, you might still be admitted, but then afterwards, your insurance might make you pay for 100% of the bill. So that's one thing that's important Um, I think it's mostly inpatient admissions that require that pre-certification versus outpatient. You're kind of free to, like, most of the time the insurance will pay unless you have some sort of circumstance, um, like Lauren was describing. And another thing is, another way insurance tries to trick you into more money is asking for, like, a prior authorization. And for me, I take some medications that require prior authorizations because they're not on like the formulary list that insurance companies like to pay for. Like they usually have this list of medications they will pay for. And anything else you need like a special um, authorization called a prior auth. And so your doctor's office will again be like instrumental in this because they have to submit like paperwork to your insurance company saying like, we think this is necessary and explaining why. And your insurance can still deny it, of course, which is what happened to me. But then, like, your doctor's office can file an appeal and everything. Also, in terms of, like, other types of treatment that may be out of network or your insurance doesn't cover, in along the same vein, you can ask your doctors to talk to the insurance company and see if they can make, like, a case exception for you, like a one-time thing where they'll cover, like, the certain service, or a certain place, as if it was an in-network service. Having like your healthcare like team, like all on the same page on your side, they can really be instrumental in making sure you get the services that you need covered by your insurance.